When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Hello there, listeners. Welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 329 of Sustainable Minimalists. On today's show, we are discussing two things. We're first outlining the hidden costs of clutter. I have five of them for you. And then we are discussing responsible decluttering and mindful rehoming ideas for the clutter that we already have. It is that time of year again where the clutter starts to get to us, right? Some of us are proactive in that we get unwanted items out of our homes before the influx of stuff comes in with the holidays. Others amongst us prefer to be more retroactive about their clutter issues. And so in January, perhaps if you're more retroactive, you tend to do a clean sweep of the clutter. And so this episode is for all of us, whether we're proactive, getting it out before the holidays, or retroactive, getting it out after the influx is making us a little crazy. In part one, we're discussing the hidden costs of the clutter. Some hidden costs might be a review for my longtime listeners, but I did think outside the box today and I found some new and noteworthy statistics that have never been mentioned on the show before. So that's part one. And then in part two, I'm offering up five guiding principles for responsible decluttering. Again, some review there, but also some new information as we seek to control the clutter problem that so many of us face. Moving right into part one of today's show is the hidden cost of clutter. What is the clutter costing you? And if you're like most people, you've got clutter. Most people use only 20% of what they own, just 20%. The other 80% of possessions are things that don't get used, think we should be using but aren't, think we might need someday but likely won't. So most people only use 20% of what they own. The first hidden cost of clutter, and I put this one as number one, even though we have talked about it before, I put it in the number one spot because it is, in my eyes, the most important. And the number one area in which clutter is costing you is, of course, in your free time. I believe that time is the most precious commodity we have. We don't know how much of it we have, but it's a commodity. And when it's gone, it's gone. The average person spends two and a half days searching for misplaced items. So you have 365 days in a year, two and a half of them every single year is spent 
looking for misplaced items. So think about your remote control or your keys or your glasses or your credit card. Two and a half days of every year of your life is spent looking for misplaced items. According to the National Soap and Detergent Association, by the way, who knew there was a National Soap and Detergent Association? But anyway, according to them, in the average home, getting rid of clutter will eliminate 40% of your housework. I know this to be true. I still have housework, obviously. But less clutter becomes less housework because there's less to maintain. And so when you have less stuff, you're buying back your most precious commodity in some ways, which of course is time. If you're like most people, you're busy. You don't have a lot of free time. So why would you want to spend your precious free time maintaining the clutter, looking for items that you own but you've lost, putting stuff away, struggling to find organizational systems for all the stuff. No, no, no. Let's work smarter, not harder, by decluttering the items that no longer fit in our season of life. So number one, hitting cost of clutter, of course, is time. Number two is one we've never talked about on the show before, but I'd be remiss if I didn't cover it. And that is clutter creates for some people a sense of embarrassment and a poor self-image. Now, let, let me explain this with a story. There's a person in my life, she's more than an acquaintance, but not quite a good friend. I've known her for eight-ish years. She has been over my home many times. She's dined at my dinner table. We've had play dates. She's come over an awful lot. I have never once been invited to step into her home. And over the eight years... I found myself thinking, well, you know, I'm putting in all this effort, always inviting her over, and it's never reciprocated. Why not, Stephanie, why don't you take a step back? Because a relationship, a friendship, should be, at the end of the day, equal. Both parts putting in equal or sort of equal or close to equal amounts of effort. And it didn't feel from where I was sitting that that was happening in this situation. So I decided to take a step back etc. Recently, it came out with this person that the reason I and most people are never invited over her home is not due to any reason other than the fact that she's embarrassed by the state of her home. She feels as though she can't get it together. She can't create a home that's conducive to entertaining. And so What I took from these statements is that it's not personal. It's not that she doesn't want to put in equal effort. It's that the clutter is preventing her from doing so. Research supports this. A messy home does cause many of us to feel ashamed of not only our space, but of ourselves as well, because our homes tend to be a reflection of who we are as individuals in our minds, right? We tend to Think of our homes as an extension of us. And so if we feel unable to get control of the clutter, that inadequacy, for lack of a better word, reverberates back onto us. This is especially true for women. Women 
definitely feel as though the state of their homes is a reflection of who they are. And there's also this implicit belief within our society that women should be able to manage and get their homes under control. So if that implicit statement is out there and we still can't, how does that then make us feel about ourselves? If you're like many people, you may end up feeling like a failure because you can't control, you can't get control over this quote unquote simple thing. It's not simple at all, is it? But day after day, the clutter can beat you down, can impact your self-image, how you see yourself, and it can, in the case of my sort of friend, it can impact your relationship. So that's number two. Moving on to the third way in which clutter impacts us is it impacts our health. When we talk about health today, I want to talk about eating and I want to talk about stress. There's many facets to health, but for the purposes of this conversation, let's talk about eating first. This statistic stopped me dead in my tracks. The Center for Sustainable Systems investigated eating behaviors in cluttered homes. And guess what they found? (laughs) People will eat more food in cluttered environments because they feel out of control in their environment. And so their eating, therefore, becomes disorganized as well. So many people eat more food in cluttered environments. Whoa. There's also the stress factor. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention here in the U.S., the CDC, has found that 80% of our medical expenditures are related to stress. I say all the time that our homes should be the antidote to stress, not the cause of stress. However, for the vast majority of us, our homes are indeed a major source of stress. Clutter makes us feel anxious, and that's because messy and disorganized spaces create that overwhelmed feeling within. Clutter robs us of our focus, puts excess on our mental load. It's really just virtually impossible to sit down and relax in a cluttered home for me personally, and perhaps for you too. But I cannot sit on the couch if everywhere I look, I see visual reminders of mess. It's overwhelming to me. It's overwhelming to my mental state. This constant stress does indeed impact our bodies, and impact our health. Moving on to number four, how does clutter affect us? What's another hidden cost? Another hidden cost is a loss of sleep. With stress, which we just discussed, with stress comes sleep problems. There's nothing better in this world than a great night of sleep, right? There's almost nothing better than a great night of sleep, in my opinion. However, A 2015 study did find that a cluttered bedroom goes hand in hand with a poor night of sleep. And I think this is similar to my sitting on the couch example. I can't fully relax on the couch when I see clutter everywhere. And if that resonates for you, perhaps if your bedroom's cluttered, you can't fully relax and find yourself in that peaceful slumber when you have visual overstimulation. And moving on, finally, to the final way in which clutter costs us is quite literal. Clutter costs us 
financially, but not in the way you think. Obviously, buying more stuff puts more stress on our wallets, etc. We've discussed that before. For the purposes of today's conversation, I'd love to highlight three ways in which clutter costs us, three different ways in which clutter costs us. And the first, of course, is the fact that when we have a cluttered home, we lose our bills. Yes, this is true. 25% of adults, that's one in four adults, listeners, say that they pay their bills late because they lose them. One in four adults. Of course, paying your bills late leads to late fees and overdue fines. Hence, clutter costs you. A second way in which clutter costs us financially is in the replacing of items we already own, but we've lost. (laughs) We talked about losing items briefly before, but what happens when the clutter is hiding the items we're looking for? We inevitably replace the item we're looking for, aka we pay for an item two times. American households collectively spend more than 2.7 billion, with a B, billion dollars each year replacing lost items. And then the third way in which clutter costs us is with regard to the storage of all the items. If you're storing items in your home, you need storage bins and organizing supplies, right? You want to try to desperately win the battle against the clutter, so you try to organize it. That's a natural action, a natural reaction to clutter. But the container store, it's many things, but it is certainly not cheap. All those organizational systems, those bins, those baskets, those totes, they add up. And then, of course, when we talk about storing the clutter, we have to touch on the external storage space monthly fee, right? Many of us pay for extra storage space outside of the home. How much does this cost? I quickly Google searched my area. How much would a storage space cost per month? Well, a 10 by 10 non-climate controlled storage unit here where I live in Massachusetts will cost me an average of $180 a month just to store stuff that I want to keep. Now, I should stay here too to make this even more confounding is that one-third of all customers who pay for off-site storage, so one out of three storage customers, already have a basement. They have a basement. Two-thirds of storage customers own a garage, and nearly half of all people who pay for off-site storage have an attic. So that leads me to believe then that their basements or their garages or their attics are already so full, they have so much stuff, they need to pay $180-ish a month to store their stuff because their storage areas in their homes are already full. So those are five hidden costs of clutter. We're going to take a quick break to hear from this week's sponsors. But when we get back, we're going to discuss responsible decluttering and mindful rehoming. Before we get there really quick, I just want to say... That although no listener likes to hear an ad, myself included, I am so grateful that this podcast 
is fortunate enough to partner with some amazing brands who are willing to support this show. It is because of these sponsors that this show is able to stay in production. And so if one of the show's sponsors solves a need for you, a genuine need, a friendly reminder that supporting a podcast supporter supports the podcast. So thank you so much. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love. Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items and yet somehow we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. And we are back in part one of today's conversation before the break. We were discussing five of countless hidden costs of clutter. And now we're on to part two in which we are discussing mindful rehoming ideas for items that no longer fit within our season of life. The other day I came across an old photograph of myself. It was pre-cell phone cameras. It was, you know, the good old-fashioned hold-in-your-hand photo. I was a teenager. Let's say I was about 16. And I was wearing a shirt that at the time was a go-to shirt. It had three-quarter length sleeves. It was boat-necked, I believe it's called. It was like wide in the neck area. It kind of went off a shoulder slightly. (laughs) It was light blue. And I don't remember exactly why I loved this shirt so much, but it was like my go-to shirt. And I remember really wearing the heck out of it. I'm telling you this story about my very 1999 shirt (laughs) because after looking at this photo of myself wearing this shirt, I went down a mental rabbit hole. I found myself wondering, you know, where is this shirt now? Is it on somebody else's back 
somewhere in the world? Maybe, but likely not, right? Was it ripped up and used as stuffing in a child's stuffed animal or in a pillow, perhaps? Maybe, but again, likely not. I don't remember what I ended up doing with this shirt. I honestly don't know if I threw it in the trash, if I donated it. I don't know if I brought it to Goodwill. I don't know if I gave it to a friend. I have no idea what I did with this shirt 20 years ago. But the reality is that that beloved shirt, which I once did truly love, is now in a landfill somewhere, quite likely. And so then after I thought about that shirt for a good five minutes, I started thinking about all the other stuff I once loved and no longer own. Where are all the clothes I once wore when I was a teenager, when I was a young child and everything in between? What about my favorite toys as a kid? Where are all they now? And again and again, I came back to the same answer, which is that my stuff from my younger me, it's all likely in an airless and lightless pit somewhere on this earth. The United States makes up only 4% of the world's population, but more than 30% of the planet's total waste. How depressing. So we make up a relatively small percentage of the world's population, but we are creating an oversized percentage of the world's waste. Enter what I like to call responsible decluttering. I've also heard it called mindful rehoming. Same thing. Responsible decluttering occurs when you take the extra time and the extra effort to direct your unwanted items to people and places and organizations that will try their hardest to ensure your items have a positive impact on the planet and on human beings. And so I have five guiding principles for you as we talk about responsible decluttering. And the first, of course, well, let me just say before we get into the first, that mindful rehoming is difficult. It's difficult for all of us. There's no easy way to do it. It does take extra time. It does take extra effort. It does take extra energy. And part of the reason why I believe that responsible decluttering is so darn hard is because There are 331.9 million people here in the United States alone. And those 331.9 million people are also struggling with their abundance of stuff. There are a finite amount of nonprofits, donation centers, charities, churches that want our stuff. They are struggling with 331.9 million-ish People also trying to get rid of their excess possessions. So a finite amount of places willing to take the stuff and an awful lot of people trying to unload the stuff. So that's one reason why it's really darn hard. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But let's go into the guiding principles. Guiding principle number one, of course, is people first. Whenever possible, give your items to a real live breathing human, as opposed to a nameless, faceless organization? Do you know an actual human being in your sphere that can use whatever you're trying to get rid of? If so, 
give it to a person. People are always preferable to an organization or that nameless donation bin or that gigantic thrift store. Give it to a person. I should say that in my life, I have found that there are some items that do really well in terms of being passed on to an actual person in your community. Kids' clothes. I seem to have very little trouble passing on kids' clothes to real people or kids' toys or kids' books. In my experiences, these items get passed along with very little effort on my part. But other items are indeed much harder. Furniture, which is big and bulky, and most people already have the furniture they need, right? They are not looking for extra. Adult clothing. Adult clothing is quite personal, right? It's much harder for me to give away my clothes to a real live person than it is to give kids clothes. And that's a whole nother story for another day. Housewares, like plates, bowls, cups, people likely already have more than they need of these items. And so they're not looking for mine. And then home decor is hard to pass on, in my opinion. Again, it's quite personal, right? And so I say all this to say people over the nameless donation bin or the faceless thrift store. People first whenever possible. That's guiding principle number one. Guiding principle number two is to remember that the internet is your friend. It can be argued that responsible decluttering is easier at this moment in time than ever before. And that's because of a handy dandy little invention called the internet. The internet is a tool that can connect you with willing recipients for your items. You can find your neighbors (laughs) via your local Buy Nothing group. You can find total strangers via Craigslist or FreeCycle or Facebook Marketplace. You can use Google to search for nonprofits near you. You can type in, (laughs) as I did earlier this week, quote, what to do with old pillows or where to donate old pillows, or textile recycling near me. You can also use Reddit. There's likely a subreddit for your town or your region. And so remember that the internet's your friend. You probably don't have all the information you need in your brain to mindfully rehome items, and that is okay. Use the internet for help. Remember that when you are responsibly decluttering, It's best to try and keep your items local, if at all possible, within your community or your region. Instead of sending your son's tuba to an orchestra in London, let's say, it would be much more of an environmental practice to donate that tuba to the local high school's band program. That's just an example. And of course, local is not always possible, but try. Guiding principle number three is, of course, to take no for an answer. Call your local homeless shelter before showing up with a trunk full of stuff. Make sure they actually want your stuff. If someone or some place declines your items, don't put the burden of your stuff onto them. Be willing to take no for an answer and don't let that no discourage you. Keep trucking along. My grandmother, God bless her, 
she always put the burden of her stuff onto her grandchildren. And it was that was easiest for her, right? It was easiest to pass on her stuff to her grandchildren. It wasn't the easiest way that she could declutter. And we grandchildren, we would take her stuff because how can you say no to grandma, right? <laughs> Don't be like my grandma. If you ask someone whether they want your item and they say no, again, keep looking. Keep looking. Guiding principle number four when it comes to responsible decluttering is to remember that sometimes trash is indeed trash. But what's trash? The amount of trash is likely less than you might think. The trash bin is reserved for items that are completely used up or completely used out. There's no life left. I'm thinking shoes in this case, okay? Not sneakers, because sneakers can indeed be recycled. I think about my local Nike store where I put all my old running sneakers, they shred it down and turn it into turf. Okay, I'm not talking about sneakers, but shoes that are completely worn out. The soles are worn down to the bone. Those shoes... Maybe you take the laces out and you do something with the laces, but I'm okay with things that are completely used to the absolute maximum of their lifespan. I'm okay with those items becoming trash. A broken bowl, like the pieces of a porcelain bowl, trash, it's trash. An item that no longer serves its utility, its purpose for existence, it no longer fulfills its purpose for existing. It can't be broken down into useful parts. It cannot be fixed and restored to utility. Those items are indeed trash. I personally am okay with throwing out items that are indeed trash. And I'm going to give you an example of this so as to say that if you've exhausted all your options and you have indeed deemed an item as trash, Don't beat yourself up about throwing something in the trash if it's indeed trash. So here's my story. (laughs) My husband's going to kill me for telling this story on the podcast. But do you know how often you're supposed to replace your pillows? Do you know? I didn't know. The answer is every one to two years. Now, this is embarrassing and disgusting, but I'm going to be completely honest and say that my husband and I have been together for been married for 11 and a half years. So we've been together for, let's say, 15, 16 years. We have never once changed our pillows. I know, disgusting, right? So unsanitary. So I recently bought new pillows for the house, and I thought I was just doing such a wonderful thing, right? Replacing the pillows. And I think I did do a responsible thing. Like nobody wants to sleep on 16-year-old pillows, correct? But then the question becomes, what do I do with the old 16-year-old stained, flat, germ-ridden pillows? Well, I did my research. The internet is my friend, right? I called the local animal shelter to see if they wanted my pillows. They did not. I looked up textile recycling near me. No textile recycling near me wanted my dirty pillows. I ripped open the down pillows and composted the down. Look at me. And then the exterior, the, I don't know, the stained old fabric that I personally did not want to reuse, I put in the textile recycling bin at my daughter's school. And I felt good about that. However, not all my pillows were down. Some of them were good old or not good, or I should say bad, 
old-fashioned polyester. And so those, I feel as though I exhausted all my options. I felt at peace with my decision to throw those in the trash. I spent hours trying to mindfully rehome and responsibly declutter these pillows, and I came to the end of my rope. And I felt okay with that because I Again, I did try my hardest. So remember, trashing should always be your absolute last resort. And if it is your last resort, don't get hung up on the guilt of it. Just brush it off and keep on being the most mindful and intentional citizen you can be. Brush it off and keep moving forward. And then finally, my fifth guiding principle for you when it comes to responsible decluttering is, of course, to think twice on the front end. Next time there is an opportunity to bring a new item into your home, ask yourself, how long do you anticipate using or needing this item? Is it a one-time thing? Is it a two-time thing? If so, can you just borrow it? Do you need to own it? Do you need to possess it? I saw something on... I believe it was Instagram. I don't know who posted it. I don't know who quoted it. I apologize. But the sentiment was before purchasing a new item of clothing, new, ask yourself, are you going to wear this item of clothing at least 30 times? 30 times. So you see a cute sweater pop up on your feed. Ask yourself before you say, oh my gosh, that's so cute. I got to have it. I need it. Got to buy it right now. Ask yourself, will I wear that sweater 30 times? And remember too that mindful rehoming takes an awful lot of time and time is indeed our most precious commodity. Mindful rehoming takes an awful lot of time and effort, partly because of the 331.9 million people all trying to get rid of the same clutter just like you to the same finite amount of organizations, people, churches, etc. Not a lot of places, but a lot of people with a lot of stuff trying to rehome it. So working smarter, not harder means being mindful of your time and remembering that mindful rehoming takes time. And so the way to buy back time would be by not bringing stuff into your home to begin with, saving yourself the struggle, the hassle, buying back your time. So ask yourself, do you really need to own it? Do you really need to own it new? Oftentimes, I'm willing to bet the answer is no. The final word for today is to remember that the easiest decluttering route for you is likely not the best route for whoever or whatever is downstream. Our seasons of life do change. And with the proverbial changing of life seasons, our possession needs do indeed change. There's nothing wrong with that. But it really does come down to preventing items that aren't truly and genuinely needed from entering our homes in the first place. I do believe we have a responsibility to be intentional about our items when we own them, of course, but also when our season of life no longer has use for the item in question. We have a responsibility over the item to do everything in our power to mindfully pass it on when we no longer need it.
Quick plug for my episode. It was titled, Where Do Goodwill Donations Go? I will link to it in this week's show notes if you missed that one. Real powerful episode about where that box of stuff that you leave at the Goodwill drop door actually goes. Again, I'll link to it in the show notes. I will see you on Tuesday where I am speaking with two authors of the new book, The Big Fix, about what exactly we should be doing to help the planet. Have an amazing weekend. Don't kill yourself with holiday prep. See you Tuesday. Take care.